Hello and welcome back to another episode of the China Path podcast. This is James Scullin from the Australia China Business Council. On this episode, we look at the complex world of getting compliance right when importing goods into China. I'm joined by Meta Knudsen, CEO and partner at Knudsen CRC. Meta is an economist with substantial experience in the China market. She's an advisor and consultant for global companies in China, providing advisory services, company establishment. Government affairs certification and regulatory compliance assistance. With almost a decade of experience in China and Asia, establishing and growing foreign companies, Meta is perfectly placed to give an update on China's evolving customs compliance system. On this episode, we look at the latest changes in import regulations, from changes in inspections, ports, and documentation, as well as product regulation updates such as ingredient checks, animal testing, and organic certification. Meta also explains how compliance has become more process-based in China, where it's increasingly what you know rather than who you know at customs in China. We also discuss how political issues in the Australia-China bilateral relationship affect product imports at the border. I hope you enjoy our discussion. I'm here in Shanghai with Meta Knudsen from Knudsen CRC.、Um, Meta, thanks a lot for dropping by to the podcast. Welcome, You're welcome.、Um, so, Meta,、uh, what is Knudsen CRC, and and what's your background regarding、uh, compliance and、uh, customs in China? Yeah, so uh, uh, my background is、uh, been in China for almost thirteen years,、um, and.、Uh, Worked for the Danish government the first five years.、Uh, established a company with strong focus on assisting companies in getting the compliance right on、okay. the market. Yeah.、Uh, and when you mentioned the customs previously,、uh, most of our work were obviously centered around getting the products into the market,、uh, compliance through customs inspection.、Uh, whereas today it's about compliance for everything on the market. So、uh, the the importation issue is not so big anymore as it is、uh, to be compliant on the market. Okay,、um, and so during your time in China,、um, has it become easier in in terms of importing into China? Yes, you can say it has been. It has become easier in in some aspects,、uh, and it has been、uh, become far more complicated in other aspects. Okay. So、uh, first of all, to get your products across the border,、uh, I think the the compliance、uh, requirements are the same、um, in in、uh, in many regards,、uh, apart from the little fact. That you no longer need to actually prepare all your documents and have your paperwork in place upon、uh, importation, but as it's a requirement that these documentation is in place. Previously, you could be denied access into China by not having your paperwork and your labeling in place.、Um, with the new laws that was published in April and I think coming into effect this autumn.、Mm. Um, As long as as you have your documentation and your labeling in place, you will actually just be allowed into the market. You will not be inspected upon importation.、Uh, but obviously, if you're taken out for random check on the market、uh, and you don't have your documentation in place, you may be asked to recall all your products.、Right. So, so you can say, is it easier today? Yeah, it may be easier to come across the border,、um, but when you are on the market, it's definitely not easier because we have the same system in place as you have on the mature consumer market, where if you're not compliant, you actually have to recall your products. Right. 
Okay. Um, and, and, and so is the big change there the, the random checking as opposed to the compulsory checking? Yeah, that's the one of the big changes. Okay. Uh, but you can say generally um, it... The, the market in China is changing now, so you will see not only the government uh, looking into non-compliant product, but also the professional consumers. Um, there is a, a reward as a, a professional consumer that you will actually be rewarded 10 times the purchasing price of your product okay. if you find a non-compliant product being sold. So it's a business. You, I think you have the same thing in the US especially where a non-compliant product will actually grant uh, the consumer benefit cash benefit, right? And this is China. Mm. So you can only imagine that um, the the companies uh, that are non-compliant, they not only risk a product recall, but they also risk quite a lot of reimbursement to the professional consumers. So what's the most common error that a company makes when they when they have to recall their whole product? What's the what's the mistake that they most commonly make? Yeah. Well, I haven't seen personally I haven't seen any product recall from our clients, but I would say the, the most common problems is documentation. That's number one. So you don't have your documentation in order. A very basic documentation like country of origin, um, the safety documentation on your product quality and this kind of thing, that's number one, um, uh, not in place. Uh, number two, I would say is some of the labeling um, uh, issues um, also, um, we also see some issues uh, with the labeling and that is, Maybe um, the translation, uh, people, they rely on a Google Translate or a WeChat Translate okay. and then an ingredient uh, that they should be a very harmless one all of a sudden become to translate it into something that is definitely not very um, um, safe to consume. So I would say the labeling is one thing, documentation is another thing. And then <clears throat> some uh, companies, even the large companies, uh, they do not understand that in China we have very special laws in regards to ingredients. Mm. So, for example, chamomile tea. You will not be able to find chamomile tea in, in, a, in a normal coffee tea store uh, simply because chamomile tea is a health food in China. So these special um, TCM ingredients, you actually have to know about them. So what is considered a very, I would say, safe ingredient in Australia mm. may not be allowed to be sold as a general food in China. And so how can you, how can a company check that? Does the government have a, like a website with a yeah, listing on... Yeah, wouldn't it on... be nice? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> no, actually very often uh, uh, companies, they, they come to us just for very basic ingredient check. Very, very basic. Okay. Uh, and uh, it can be some berries. Berries is a big thing, especially from where I come from, Scandinavia, mm. where we have a lot of berry products. Uh, so they come to us and they ask, lingonberry is a good example. So is lingonberry allowed? From Australia, years ago, we had the big issue with the chia seeds in all the health, healthy food products. It was not allowed. Today it's allowed. Oh, okay. And they just come to us with these kind of requirements. But that's the most basic part. That's kind of the ingredient screening. Okay. Do they require like a Western company to have a stamp in the same way that Chinese entities yeah, have an, yeah, an official company yeah, stamp? Yeah. Is, that, is that still something where yeah. companies need to design their own stamp because that's the type of documentation yeah. that's required? I think the preference in China is still, you know, like really high quality paperwork and, you know, the, the good solid paper yeah, and then yeah. the stamps. And The more official looks, the better it is. But I would also say... Uh, in, not only in food, but in many other areas, one of the big problems that we have is very often to find uh, 
specific um, documentation for food safety because mm. you rely on the Ministry of Agriculture uh, in, in Australia and sometimes it's difficult to get the right documents uh, from the authorities. That's number one. Uh, uh, the notarization of documents. Um, in Australia, uh, when you do the notarization and maybe you're based outside the big cities, it actually is a very costly um, journey for you to get to the towns to get all your documents notarized uh, by the embassies mm. and from the authorities. Mm. Um, that's uh, another thing. So just about the stamp is just a small thing in the whole pile of documentations that you are required. And then you come, uh, I think another big challenge is actually the inspection of the manufacturers. Uh, so uh, in, in a lot of industries, and I think more and more, uh, we will see that uh, a requirement for import into China is the manufacturing inspection. Okay. Um, uh, for some industries, it's the CNCA inspection, dairy and meat uh, producers. And uh, it, is, it is an issue for the companies because um, it takes time to get the CNCA inspection, not only to get the paperwork in place, but also because there's a waiting time for this inspection. And that inspection is a requirement before you can import into the market. Mm, okay. So, so some um, people argue that it's not what you know in China, it's, it's who you know. And if we're thinking about customs and compliance, if maybe you have an issue at the border with not getting your goods in, having a contact at the at at the border will really help to facilitate your customs getting import into China. Is was that the case, and is that still the case now? It it was it. I think it was the case in the old days, in the very old days. And when we talk very old days in China, it means like ten years ago. Yeah. So, um, but at that time, obviously there was. Um, um, differential treatment, as we call it, in the different customs. Uh, and uh, and um, today, what we see, especially here in Shanghai, is extremely strict by the book uh, inspections, but also compliance. Uh, and uh, I think Shanghai, as we say, if you can enter the Shanghai ports, mm. you can enter any port in, uh, in China because oh, right. they're very, very strict. Uh, but you have a point because... We have seen this uh, turnaround where um, a lot of companies, even though they have been active on the market maybe for decades uh, and been used to just import without any issues, uh, five, seven years ago when this whole, I would say, reform of the system uh, was initiated, they were surprised to find out that they weren't compliant mm. because previously it, it, it has only been minor problems to getting the problems across the border mm. but now when they are actually asked to comply with the regulations and document uh, their compliance uh, they are faced with problems um, and uh, in our view it's great because it means that the companies that are compliant they have no issues entering the market. Mm. Did those companies experience those difficulties accessing the same port or was then was that when they would attempt to access the market through a different port in China? No, it's actually... Uh, so in the ports, you also see a change of personnel <laughs> quite rapidly in some ports. Um, and, uh, and, and and it can be the same port that you will have the problem. Mm. Uh, we always urge the companies that has been imported successfully into one particular port to keep using that port because it is easier when you can show proof that you've actually been through the same port okay. for years yeah. successfully. But, uh, but, but you also have to understand it's very often a matter of the inspection, the personal, um, the person that inspect the, uh, the right. importation. Okay. Um, and since that has changed in China, 
it's actually it's a whole uh, it's a whole change of um, how the customs is working because previously, as I said in the beginning, um, all the inspection and documentation was uh, the proof of documentation was done by the customs. Mm. Today, they have moved that requirement, so now you are actually no longer inspected. You're only taken out for what we call random spot checks okay. in the customs. So you can actually, by mistake, you can actually come into the market without having the right documentation. Mm. The problem is then if you're taken out for inspection when you are selling in the market mm. and you cannot prove your whatever, it can be many safety, product safety or the labeling, you may actually be asked to recall your products on the market. Right. And that is where the big problem begins. Yeah. So it's um, what, what was first celebrated as a great thing because people were thinking, wow, we don't need to comply with all this. We can only be taken out for random spot check. Yeah. It's actually much, much more difficult today and much more costly if you're non-compliant. Yeah. So in that, uh, the government said years ago they wanted to move the responsibility to the companies. And I think they have very, very effectively done that with the new regulations mm. because now it's the company's responsibility to be compliant on the market. Yeah. It's no longer whenever you have passed the customs, you're good to go. That's not the case anymore. Well, that makes it so so much more important to really mitigate your, yes. your own risk. Yes. With ports, in a sense, acting as their own regions or having their own different ways of working, well, would you agree that the ports... Do function differently across China? Uh, yeah, well, some is saying that they're they're functioning very differently. I wouldn't say they're functioning very dif differently. And I think we also see the ports are, because they're inspected by the same authority, obviously um, we cannot see that many differences. Okay. Um, there has been an old saying that the further south you get from Shanghai, the easier it is to pass the customs inspection. I don't think that's going to be the truth for so much longer. Okay. Um, and also, as you know, we had the reform last year where uh, the inspection and the custom was merged. Mm. So... Um, we see a stepping up in regards to the regulations for the and now called the China Customs. Mm. Um, and that kind of uh, what they did is kind of a joint venture they did where they were merged together. Um, the first uh, half year, we didn't really feel that there was a difference. But now, I think th from this year on, when the new regulations come into place, um, it will be far more streamlined. So um, are there some trends in evolving regulations so when you're talking about the the port system being streamlined to some extent yeah. um is that is is that improving with regards to food safety and in, environmentally friendly products yeah we i think we have seen um, a general cha change uh, not only within uh, uh, food and beverages but within all the regulations for imported products where uh, the government have uh, stressed that from now on, the companies have to take responsibility for compliance. Mm. And when they said these words originally, I have to say personally, I, I was thinking, how would they ever do that? Uh, because when you're importing a product from Australia, how would you actually go back to Australia and, and keep anyone responsible for a non-compliant product? Mm. But it's a, it's a quite genius system um, in the sense that you cannot import uh, anything into China unless you have a responsible person mm. uh, or a re responsible entity. 
And in that regard, it has become far, far more strict. So when you're selling in China, you can only sell if there are a person or a legal entity with the person, obviously, as a legal rep, uh, that are responsible for the product safety. Mm, okay. So they will not, I would say, especially we've seen some new changes also within the cosmetic space where the cosmetic regulations are also changing now that you cannot... Um, certify your products and sell in China unless you have a responsible person and the the charges against you uh, if you are uh, non-compliant or violating the laws uh, that has an effect on consumer safety is actually criminal charges. Right. So you can be imprisoned by by violating the laws. So who's a responsible person? Could that be could that be a buyer that a company has it could in China? Be. It could be. So for food for food products, let's say you import food is very often the importer or distributor. Um, and and they're the one who take the full responsibility for the product safety. Um, the problem is that for a long range of products in China you require certification or registration of your products. Mm. And they, and that is I would say certification is not it's not just a certification. It's also full disclosure of your uh, your formulations. If it's cosmetics, if it's uh, within pharma or medical device, there's a lot of IP rights that goes into the registration processes. Mm. Uh, the responsible person will have full information access uh, to all your IP, um, and uh, and therefore we always urge the companies to do their registration and certification by themselves. Mm. But the problem is that. Um, the one who owns the registration is also the responsible person. Okay. So, so it's 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 a it's 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 a complicated matter, and where in many industries we actually urge the companies now to have their own WUFI on the market, their own legal entity on the market, that can own all their registration, product registration, and certifications, so they don't give it away to um, a Chinese partner or Chinese distributor. Right. So that would mean setting up your own entity in China yeah. and becoming your own responsible person. Yes. From the China side. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you mentioned cosmetic products. Um, a, a big barrier to um, Australian cosmetic products getting into the China market was the requirement for animal testing. Yeah. Is this still the case? It's a very relevant question, and you d I don't think you know that. But this Monday, just a, a couple of days ago, we got the new laws, um, a draft, uh, the new um, proposed uh, law for uh, cosmetic registration and certification in China. And uh, that was very good news um, mm. in many aspects, not all of them, but in many aspects. So um, for the first time ever, the Chinese government proposed a law where the foreign cosmetic and the domestic cosmetics are treated equally. Mm. Uh, and uh, within a certain segment, what we call non-special use cosmetics. So it's not for hair growth products, for example, uh, but for non-special use cosmetics, and that, I would say, cover 90% of all cosmetic products. Uh, in that uh, new draft, the government proposed that um, imported cosmetic no longer need animal test, mm. uh, which is amazing and happy good news. Mm. Uh, the only problem is that at the same time, they actually also require uh, manufacturing inspection for cosmetics. And since we don't know exactly um, how the, uh, sorry, not manufacturing inspection, they, they require good manufacturing practices. So a GMP uh, certificate by the authorities. And the problem here is a lot of countries does not uh, require the GMP certificate from the manufacturers. Um, 
I would say cosmetics especially because it's it's typically I would say um, very often a mom and pop business um, and we have what we call kitchen sink products uh, so small locally produced uh, very often natural yep. cosmetic products uh, and they don't have a manufacturing uh, license they don't have a GMP certificate so it could actually it, it could be that this new regulation is favoring the bigger uh, or the largest cosmetic producers in the world. Um, it's a draft, so we don't know whether this will actually change in the second draft that we will see. Um, but uh, if we look at the positive aspect, it's the first time ever that we see that the uh, cosmetic companies uh, that are imported into China are uh, not required to test on animals. Okay. So we see some changes. With that inspection requirement, does that require the Chinese entity to come to Australia to inspect how that product is made? Or do the Chinese entities honour Australian forms of verification and, and, and Australian regulations? TMP, yeah. Actually, we don't know yet. Uh, so uh, uh, this is the draft, and it's. I would say that particular article is very open-ended. Uh, we will see within... So the end of the public... Op uh, I think the public opinion will uh, end at the 20th of... 15 of June, I think it is, and uh, so we are, right now we are drafting our input to the uh, to the uh, to the new law. After that, we will most likely see a second draft uh, for public opinion, or the government will simply take in consideration all the uh, information they have had from various uh, sites, mm. and then they will draft the regulations. Mm. But it's very open-ended, uh, and uh, we don't know exactly what is required. I think the worst thing, the worst scenario would be that we would be required to have some kind of inspection from the uh, Chinese government because, not because of the inspection, because I think they work very professionally, but because of the waiting times, mm. uh, that that will actually be a huge task because you can only imagine how many cosmetic producers all over the world who would then ask for an inspection. Um, I would say the mm. best case scenario would be to have a list of um, cross-recognized GMP certificates from mm. the various countries that are acknowledged by the Chinese uh, government. Mm. So um, what about organic certification? A, a lot of Australian companies have difficulty in achieving the Chinese standard of organic certification and, and needing the, a Chinese entity to come over mm. to check out their facilities in Australia. Yeah. Um, is this something that's becoming more lax and, and, and more easier for organic companies to enter the market here? Uh, and so this is just my personal view uh, on this, but the, uh, for food and beverages, uh, organic certificate uh, is not that difficult to get. There's so many more certificates that are far more difficult to, mm. to uh, acquire. Uh, I would say for organic, it's, it's not that difficult. And it's a little bit of a surprise, and it's something I often stress to Australian food and beverage companies, that they, um, I don't understand why they don't apply for these organic certification because it's a huge, unique selling point. Mm. I think Australia must be one of the uh, countries in the world with the most organic certifications uh, and, uh, and already considered the most uh, safe place uh, in the world for food production. Mm. So obviously um, it's... it's it's obvious that you should just, uh, you know, certify your, your products organic whenever you can. But for cosmetics... You cannot certify organic cosmetics right, in China, okay. so it's yeah. not possible. If you're exporting 
an organic food and beverage type product into China? What, like, what is the process? So first of all, you cannot import a, a, an organic product unless you have, a, I mean, you cannot claim you're organic unless you actually have your certificate for organic in place in China. Okay. So if, if you have an organic product in Australia and you wish to have the same claim in China, yeah. you need to pass the inspection uh, as an organic uh, food product in okay. Australia first. And, and that's quite a costly process. It's not that costly. Uh, it's costly, but it's... it's, it's it, I mean, if you do your homework, you just do a very back-of-the-envelope kind of homework on how much that will actually be able to increase your price. Definitely is something worthwhile. That's just my okay. point of yeah. view. Um, and, uh, and then whenever... Uh, if you, for example, import a product that is organic in Australia and not considered, haven't applied for an organic certificate in China, you then have to put these over stickers on it. And it looks ridiculous on the products. They have the, all these white over stickers. Whenever you have a claim that you are not allowed to, to use in China, you have these white stickers on top of your product. Right. And, um, and that's a shame. I mean, especially if it's a, an, an organic claim, right? Yeah, and so that's, that's blocking out an Australian organic certification, that's yeah, what those stickers yeah, are for? Yeah, they are, they okay. are, yeah. As the Australia-China relationship goes through various peaks and troughs, um, a lot of companies allege that when there's um, a political um, challenge in the relationship, that they see this affect their product on the border and that it has an effect on, on customs and compliance and, and there's some goods that can be prevented from coming into China when there's a time of, let's say, political tension. Yeah. Um, do you see evidence of this and do you think that this is the case in China? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think in general, um, I don't think you can criticise China um, without being ready to pay the price for your criticism. Uh, I think it goes the other way around. I mm. think we see many bilateral relationships um, um, being harmed by 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 um, criticism one way or the other. I think it's not only... Um, we see a lot of criticism of, of China... Uh, that in from a from a Chinese perspective, and obviously I'm not Chinese, but sitting in China, working in China, and considering China my home, mm. um, it seems very unfair. Mm. Um, and and obviously, you cannot just keep criticizing uh, China without uh, being ready to pay some kind of price for for your criticism. Mm. I think it goes both ways. Um, mm. I I would say that normally we don't see these retaliations um, uh, through the customs uh, and inspection just because you're from Australia. Mm. But I think generally uh, my advice would be that uh, just consider how important China is for Australia's growth, um, economic growth, and uh, and also development and prosperity. Mm. And maybe just consider that when you're criticizing China yeah, in right. general. Yeah. Okay. Um, so for businesses that have very minimal or no experience of doing business in China, what do you want the your message to be to them when they're, when they're sorting out their branding, they're organising their IP? With regards to customs and compliance, what's the one takeaway you think that they should know about? Well, it's, 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 it's a little bit funny because I've given the same advice, for, I think, since I came to China many years ago. First of all, register all your trademarks. I 
do not understand why it's so complicated. And it's extremely cheap. So I, this is just my own PR for this uh, <laughs> part. But we actually, as a trademark agent in China, we do it non-profit because we don't accept any clients without a trademark okay. registration. Right. Because it can prove a waste of our time and money and clients' money if all of a sudden we find out there's a trademark issue. Trademark is number one. Uh, that's just the most important part. Yeah. Um, and then I would say um, uh, the next step, in my view, is actually not to come to us. Um, I would say the, the next step would be maybe to, to come to China, meet up with, for example, the Australian Chamber of Commerce here. They're doing an amazing job on connecting people and, and, and setting them up in their own network of all the companies that are organized here. Yeah. So um, connect uh, and meet up with the with mind, uh, the same businesses or someone who can share their best practices and then go back and do your homework. And I would say in regards to compliance, when you have decided to start trading into China or selling in China, then uh, make sure you're compliant because the cost of non-compliance today is just... it's. It's way over yeah, <laughs> what it has been previously. Yeah. And most of the smaller brands, they cannot afford that bill. Mm. So, so uh, the compliance is like the dentist check where you don't want a large bill in a couple of years because you have missed out on, right. your, <laughs> on, your, on your appointments, right? So it's just a small check yeah. just to be sure that you don't you know, get it wrong. Yeah, right. And it's yeah. just about mitigating that yeah. risk. Just a very, very typical example of something very small that can become very expensive. You have a small company. They sell maybe only very limited amount of, let's say, 10 SKUs, right? Mm. They put it into a container. Nine of these products are actually compliant. One of them are not. What happens the whole thing is rejected, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, even worse, so that was in the old days, it will be rejected in the customs if it's taken out on, on spot check. But if they enter the market, then they have a product recall. Mm. Um, and, and most small companies, especially on such a huge market like the Chinese market, are not able to cover the cost of that. So, so just think about these small compliance issues even before you start. Okay. The market. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Okay, well, so much sound and up-to-date current advice. Meta, thanks a lot Thank for you. coming out of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. My thanks to Meta for sharing her experience, tips and insights. For more from our podcast, please drop by to the podcast homepage at acbc.com.au forward slash podcasts where you can find show notes and all our previous episodes. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and help us to continue to grow our listenership. Thanks also to Austrade for their support of this exciting new series on our podcast focused on market access and market entry. That's it for this episode. Thanks a lot for listening and until next time, Zai Jian.